Good morning. Uh, my name's Stephanie. I'm part of the community here. Um, if you were at Thrive on Friday night and you're... If you were at Fri Thrive on Friday night, I have one of these for you. I don't need to say any more, but they're on my table for after. You know what I mean, girls. Okay, so this morning uh, I'm continuing the series of Advent, and I, um, I'm wanting to talk into a story behind the story, the story of the birth of the king. And I wanna go back and look at one of the stories that was the backstory. And Dave has been teaching us through Advent and talking about spiritual practices. And the one that I want to draw out of this story this morning is the gift of silence. The gift of silence. So I want to start, this is a beautiful quote, it'll come up behind me, but I want to read it over us from Frederick Buchner. In the silence of a midwinter dusk, there is far off in the deeps of it, somewhere a sound so faint that for all you can tell, it may only be the sound of silence itself. You hold your breath to listen. You walk up the steps to the front door. The empty windows at either side of it tell you nothing. For a second, you catch a whiff of, in the air of some fragrance that reminds you of a place you have never been and a time that you have no words for. You are very aware of the beating of your heart. The extraordinary thing that is about to happen is matched only by the extraordinary moment just before it happens. Advent is the name of that moment. That is the season that we are in. This is a season of waiting and it's a slow season. And God's grace allows us to experience a slow season of growth, awaiting this story that will change everything. Waiting is a theme throughout the story of God. And if we as Jesus followers use this season, I want to use this season to repent of the things that I use to avoid the work of God in my life. I want to repent of the habits I have that try and keep me busy and focused. I want to go back to waiting and to the beauty that is to be found in it. And I want to wait in hope, not because of my circumstances, but because of the one that I believe in and the one that I trust. And that is what I want to invite us into today. Stanley, Hair house, I'm not sure how to say his name. To recapture Advent is to recapture a sense of what it means to live as a people in a world which has taken the time of God's patience not to live the way Jesus made it possible for us to live. So Advent is a recovery of how to live in a world of impatience as a patient people. How do we learn to revisit and recapture living patiently before the one? As I prepared for this this week, this quote came from Jodie Pico, a prolific writer, not always a great writer, but a prolific one. And what she said was, it struck me when I was preparing this, this is what it means to be human, Beck's thought. We are all simply canvases for our scars. And I reflected on my own life and on the lives of many people that I get the privilege to walk with. And what I would say is that quote is so true, that our lives are simply canvases for our scars. But we're not known by our scars. We don't need to be. If I look back over the course of my life and the battlefields that I have stood on, 
And the battlefields that I continue to stand on and I hold and I carry the scars, there is profound beauty in every one of them. God is making all things new. That is the promise of God. And I, wanted, I felt I needed to share that at the outset this morning because I think there are some in this room and you're standing on a battlefield you never thought you'd be on. And you're carrying scars you never imagined you would carry. And yet there is beauty to be found. There is beauty and wholeness and recovery to be found. And so I say that to you this morning to remind you that wherever you are today, you will look back on this season of perhaps sorrow, of perhaps longing, of perhaps pain, and you will see beauty. When you performed awesome deeds that took us by surprise, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. So tells us Isaiah. God acts always in ways that speak to a much bigger picture than the one we're in. And so if your circumstances this morning are not making sense to you and you can't quite get what's going on, remember that there is a much bigger picture going on and that God will make and is making all things new. Advent is the season for the dreamers, the poets, and the prophets. Let's reclaim it in all of its beauty. Let's reclaim the waiting and the patience and the silence. The Lord is coming, but for now we wait. That is the theme from Isaiah right through to Malachi. And Advent is this season of prophetic lament. The world has gone terribly wrong. And we are surrounded by injustice. And we are simply waiting for God to show up, as he inevitably will. The Jewish people were were known for living in a story of oppression. They were marginalized. They were poor. They were from low socioeconomic groups. And they were desperate for the Messiah to come and herald a new heaven and a new earth. And... I've been thinking about that and thinking our own personal story can be one of deep sorrow and and deep longing in this season. And I hope that I will encourage you if you're in that this morning. But I also want to remind us that we are living in a very unjust world. This is a world where there are horrific injustices every day. And the world is patiently and desperately waiting for a saviour and for a new heaven and a new earth. A number of years ago, Mickey Jones started a, a hashtag thing called Stay Woke. And what he was saying, it is an experiment of spiritual honesty that during a time of year that wants to cover up the pain and suffering of the world with a giant glittery blow. Do you ever get fed up with that, that we live in this season where it's all supposed to be glitz and glam and actually there's so much injustice? And he started the Stay Woke campaign as a call to the followers of Jesus. Learn about the injustice that is in the world around you and become active, become agents of change. Don't just sit and accept the injustice. I um, have been thinking about that and in 2017, The World Health Organization said that if we thought of the world as a global village, one in three women, uh, one in three women over the course of their lifetime will be a victim of gender violence. If you take a moment and pause and look round at all the beautiful women in this room, every third face will be a victim of gender violence, whether it is sexual, emotional, or physical, and it tends to be at the hands 
of an intimate partner. That should keep me awake at night. That should trouble me in a way that I want to move to action and to fight that and to fight for the injustice that is in this world. If we think of male suicide in our community, we have the highest statistics in the whole of Europe, in West Belfast, up that street, young men are dying by their own hands every day. This is a world where there is injustice. This is a world where we have gone so wrong and we are waiting and desperate for a savior. I, when I think of that quote and that fact about women, I very intentionally choose to think of God as mother. If you look at that quote that'll behind me from Isaiah, like a shepherd, he will care for his flock, gather his lambs in his arms, hugging them as he carries them, leading the nursing ewes to good pastures. That is such an image of God as mother, carrying the, the lambs to the breast, nourishing them and feeding them. And if I think about my sisters across this world and those statistics, God as father is not a helpful construct. At best, it's not helpful. At worst, it would stop anyone wanting to enter into a relationship with the mysterious one who is above all constructs. And so I choose mother very often. I spoke with a friend this week and she is not as yet a follower of Jesus. And she said to me, Stephanie, will you and your family pray for us in this season? And I said, yes, of course. I I knew it's hard for her. She lost her grandson to suicide at Christmas six years ago. He was 12. And she said, it's a tough season for us because it's an anniversary of our grandson. And three weeks ago, his sister, who's 19, tried to take her life. Her life was spared and she's not happy about that. And she said, can you pray for us? Because this is a hard season. And when I think and I I reflect on her story and the story of her family and the privilege that it is that she asks me to pray, how can I pray in this season? My only prayer can be lament. My only prayer can be lament at the horror she has lived and that the horror she is facing and also that there's a generation living in this city who are hopeless. And so, Redeemer, let's in this season lift our eyes of absolutely remember our own waiting. But let's lift our eyes to what's happening in this community. Let's lift our eyes to what's happening around this global village that we are part of. And let's take action. Let's be the hope bearers and the hope carriers. Lament, if you look at your Psalms, lament was the practice of God's people. And I fully believe that lamenting is an act of faith. It is an act of faith-filled living when I say to God, join me in this. I join you. I know that you lament over the loss of this world. And it is also acknowledging I'm at the end of myself. There is nothing more I can say. So I need you. So never shy away from lament, never shy away from the beauty that is to be found in it, from being open and vulnerable with the one who is always leaning towards us and is always calling us into a deeper relationship. In a society that does anything, anything to avoid pain, 
How do we, as the followers of Jesus, recapture the practice of being with one another in our deep sorrows and in our longings? I want to read the story of Zachariah and Elizabeth. This is the story that is a kind of a backstory. It's quite long, but I would like to read it over us. Perhaps close your eyes, because sometimes when you close your eyes, you, you don't get so distracted. I'm reading it from Luke. When Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of, of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commands and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. One day, Zechariah was in the temple serving God, for his order was on duty that week. As was the custom of the priests, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and to burn the incense. While the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside and prayed. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at the birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. And he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah, and he will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. Zechariah said to the angel, how can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now, and my wife is well along in years. The angel then said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, since you don't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born, for my words will be fulfilled at the proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah to come out of the sanctuary, wondering why he was taking so long. When he finally came out, he couldn't speak to them. And then they realized from his gestures and his silence that he must have seen a vision in the sanctuary. When Zachariah's week of service was over, he returned home. Soon afterwards, Elizabeth became pregnant and went into seclusion for five months. How kind the Lord is. He has taken away my disgrace of having no children. Further on in the passage, when it was time for Elizabeth's baby to be born, she gave birth to a son. And when her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had been merciful to her, they rejoiced. When the baby was eight days old, they all came for the circumcision ceremony. They wanted to name him Zachariah after his father. But Elizabeth said, no, no, his name is John. What? There's no one in your family called that name. And they used gestures to ask the baby's father what he wanted to name him. He motioned for a writing tablet. And to everyone's surprise, he wrote, his name is John. Instantly, Zechariah could speak again, and he began praising God. And awe fell upon the whole neighborhood, and news of what had happened spread through the Judean hills. Everyone who heard about reflected on these events and asked, what will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was surely upon him. 
in a special way. What are the lessons I want us to take from this story, this backstory to the story? Zachariah was a priest. He was well thought of. Elizabeth was a descendant of Aaron, Moses' right-hand man. They were quiet, obedient Jewish people who lived lives of order, of service, and of faith, and yet unanswered prayers and very deep unmet desires. They were God-fearing and faithful, and yet they remained childless. Theirs was what I would call a genuine faith journey. Longing, unmet desire, sustained prayer, doubt, silence, and then retreat. In that society of that, that day, barrenness was a very personal disgrace for a woman. Your honor as a woman depended on being a mother. So this was a deep, deep pain for Elizabeth. It, it was a pain in the present and it was a loss of a future. Who was going to take on the blessing of Zechariah? Who was going to follow the priestly line? And yet, and yet, there's this beautiful message in this story. Zechariah continues his priestly duties. When God showed up, he found Zechariah exactly where he was supposed to be. There's a lesson for us in this. Doubt was not the problem. Doubt is acceptable. Doubt is a speed bump in the journey of life. But we continue in faith and honoring God and doing all we're called to do. So when God came to meet with Zachariah, Zachariah was right where he was supposed to be, serving the one that he loved, despite his doubts, despite all of the, the deep sorrow that he felt. I love the image of when he goes in to do his priestly duty and he meets with God. There is a community behind him praying. And Redeemer, we are a beautiful community of people of Jesus followers. And whatever is your deep sorrow or your longing or whatever you're waiting for, invite people in your community into it. Choose carefully but invite your community into it because they, we get to be with you and to stand with you and to pray. And so while Zachariah was in having an incredible experience of God, his community were praying for him outside. Do doubt, but do it in community. Zachariah doubted. Just a quick uh, question. Over the story of God as told in the Bible, how many promises God, does God make to his people? My, my source is Bible Gateway, so stay with me. How, how many? Give me, somebody shout. Many promises does God make? Anybody? Brave. 3,000 is a very good guess, but it's actually 4,027. 4,027. Zachariah doubted. Because he heard the promise, but he looked at his circumstances and went, a baby, a baby, have you seen how old I am? Have you seen how old my wife is? And in that moment, he doubted the promise of God. And in that moment, he became mute and he stayed there until the promise had come. When Elizabeth became pregnant, she retreated. She took herself away for five months. And the, when I used to read this story, I thought, oh, that was a kind of a, a discipline that he was made mute because he didn't believe. 
I start to wonder, was that God's greatest gift to him? The gift of silence. Because for all those months, he got to think and wait and pray. And I wonder if perhaps we can start to flick around that idea of his muteness and Elizabeth's retreat and think of them as beautiful spiritual practices that allow us to discern what God is doing in our lives and what God is doing in the lives of those around us. I love this quote from Aaron Nyquist, who says, the invitation is participation. Spiritual practices are not mechanical, they are sacramental. They don't cause something to happen. They open a window to what is already happening. They don't accomplish anything, but they create holy space for God to accomplish everything. So doubt did not prevent the miracle from coming to pass, but it forced Zachariah into silence. Elizabeth chose seclusion, and they were both forced into a retreat to simply focus on what God is doing. What if the silence was actually the gift? What if the silence was actually the gift? When we use contemplation and silence and retreat as a daily practice, as a weekly practice, within our community, on our own, it allows us to empty us of our control. It rids me of my life-numbing practices and habits. It forfeits my logic and reason, and it costs me something. It is a great personal discipline. And I wait to be invited into what God is doing. Silence allows me to develop a growing acceptance that I cannot create a blueprint for my life. If you think you can, you're gravely mistaken. And silence and waiting on God will show you how to accept that he has a blueprint of your life and that all you need to do is wait. As an intentional daily practice, liturgy and silence allow us to habituate ourselves into the ways that shape our lives towards the one who is always wanting to reach out to us and be reconciled. God is rarely loud and very rarely fast. And the Advent story, if we think about it, who actually saw what was happening? Was it the Pharisees? Was it the holy ones? It was the humble, poor shepherds sitting out in the fields. It was the stargazers at night. They were the ones who discerned what was actually happening. The living God cannot be controlled or directed. The fire must fall on the altar. We cannot summons it. We can and should, however, posture ourselves for the awakening that God has promised. And so, when I think about this silence and period of retreat, I am inviting us as a community and as individuals to re-engage with these spiritual practices, to re-engage with allowing ourselves to empty ourselves of all that we think and feel and want and to simply learn to discern what the Father is doing. As I said at the beginning at that quote about your life is simply a canvas that bears our scars. I wonder if we, Redeemer, adopted silence and retreat. Would we allow the canvas of our imagination to stretch wide open and let God paint on the canvas all that the plans of what he is doing that he invites us into? This Advent, 
Redeemer, let's whisper our longings to one another. Let's share deeply with one another. Let's trust one another in ever more deep and intimate ways. Let's be the hope holders for those in our community who have no hope. Let's be known as a people of hope. Let's be known, who can I respond to this Advent season? Who can I be the hope holder for? That is what I have been reflecting on and I invite us all into that this morning. Living and choosing to live in community can be hard, but it allows us to learn to discern the ways of God together. We learn to perceive and receive holy interruptions because they come all the time. What may seem random to us may well be in line with exactly what God is doing. We just haven't got the biggest picture and the call on us, Redeemer, is to wait and hope. And after a period of waiting and silent retreat, I wonder what song we will actually end up singing. The song Zachariah, that passage ends with Zachariah singing a beautiful song of hope and song of deliverance and joy. This Advent and into 2019, Redeemer, why don't we be the ones that are known to sit in the fields and wait? Why don't we be known as the ones who gaze at the stars? Use very little words and simply wait. I imagine that if we invite ourselves into this way of life and into a, a practice that allows us to live patiently and in hope, we would actually change the world. Just as we come to the table, I want to invite the band um, to come. As we think about this period, I want us to, whilst we accept our own personal longings and sorrow, hopes, shattered dreams, whatever they are, whatever you are waiting for, be mindful of it. But let's also raise our eyes to the unjust world that we live in. Let's also become the people of Jesus who change the way and change the story in this city and beyond.